Hi, this is Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20 Minute Scriptorian, where we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and while this is an official, I am a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, this podcast will attempt to help us become better disciples of Christ. Join me, Scriptorians. Welcome back, Scriptorians. I'm Lori, and welcome to the 20-Minute Scriptorian. We're going to have a special episode today. And so join me as we jump into how to read apocalyptic literature. So recently, you know, we're living in crazy times. I don't think anybody can see otherwise, right, from uh, here in the United States, from riots, a pandemic around the world, uh, natural disasters near and far, just, just about everything that could possibly happen seems like it seems to be happening right now. So I have been asked by a number of students and friends to say, hey, Lori, it seems like it's the end of time and the end of days, and I'm seeing signs of the times. And so can you help me understand how to, how to read uh, Revelation and, and some of the stories there? And so I wanted to take an aside and take a couple of episodes uh, to do that. So if you want to read about the Come Follow Me curriculum, we won't be doing that today, so you can bounce out and listen to those episodes. But if you would like to, uh, we're going to take a little aside for two or three episodes and talk about how to read apocalyptic literature. So first, um, I am I am just the average Latter-day Saint. I, I am a scholar, uh, but I'm not a prophet. I don't speak for the church or anything like that. So I don't, if, if this is not how you see things or, or something like that, I don't, you know, please don't be offended. But I am going to tell you uh, some framework to how most people see this and some trends and things on how we read this kind of literature. Because it, it does tend to be a little bit scarier. You hear all kinds of people. I see a propensity of, of YouTube videos that are doing uh, X equals Y and therefore you can see blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's a crazy puzzle piece. And I, I want to uh, spend a little bit of time and talk to you about how, how to read it and maybe not quite like that. So first, uh, today's episode, we'll do what, what is kind of apocalyptic literature, kind of the trends. And then next time we'll do how to read it. We'll talk about it a little bit today, but what, how, and then we'll actually do an example. So those are going to be the kind of the trends we'll do. So today, what, what is it? And kind of where do we come from it that now you guys can probably think about apocalyptic literature. And the first thing you come to mind, think, think, just say, if I say it's the apocalypse or we're going to read book of revelation or something like that, what, what is the first thing that you think of? Um, you, you may be thinking of things like, uh, the end of time, signs of the times, the moon to blood, some specifics. You may be thinking about things like the antichrist vengeance, um, and, and those topics. What we really should be thinking of, um, and this is where I want to turn us a little bit is how to witness the God on the throne and being in charge of the world and the lamb about Christ. And so I witnessed throne lamb. Those should be the thoughts we should have. And unfortunately we've taken this, this other theme. Now, the other thing that we tend to do is use the word uh, incorrectly. It, it's taken on a different meaning apocalypse. And so you usually say like the end of times, it's the, a disaster movie or uh, my favorite is it's the zombie apocalypse. Uh, some kind of zombies are going to appear. Now we don't think that biblically, but just in our culture, we tend to use that word like, some kind of terrible disasters that end to the end of civilization as we know it. And that's not exactly what apocalypse means in the Bible. So in scripture, um, the word apocalypse is a Greek word and it means to reveal. So it's literally the name of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's 
not the revelations plural in that book, but it's just the revelation. So it, it means it has the idea. I always think of it like peeking behind a veil. So we have our reality and then there's the reality that God sees and the reality that is. And sometimes our reality is distorted to how things really are in the world or in with this, our spiritual eyes. And so this is where a prophet will see into this reality. They will pull back the veil. So it's an unveiling. So that's the other word, right? Reveal, unveil, same root word, but unveiling. You kind of pull back the curtain and you get to peek into God's throne room or what reality is really like. So if you think about a number, there are a number of books uh, and stories that are apocalyptic. I mean, they're this unveiling. You get to see into God's throne room. And we read one uh, this year in Come Follow Me, and that was Lehi's dream, uh, vision. Remember in First Nephi 1, uh, Lehi has a number of visions right out of the gate. He first sees a pillar of fire and a rock, and we talked about that. But he also looks up, and either in this vision or in a, a, a sequential vision, he sees the throne of God. And you can probably think of other examples of prophets or others who have seen the throne of God. And, and you should be thinking of things like Moses and Abraham and Jacob. And also stories like Ezekiel, Isaiah. Um, so uh, we've also seen um, then these really strong ones that we have kind of a whole book. So those are specific instances when a prophet uh, will will have this unveiling. And then we also see some examples of a whole book or a big section of a book. And so Daniel is one. Now, parts of Daniel are story, right, of, of him going into exile. But but uh, there's the second half of Daniel, somewhere around Daniel 7 through 11, that, that get, uh, you know, beasts and horns and seas and all kinds of visions. So you see Daniel, and then obviously the book of Revelation, we have those. And so you can think of kind of entire books or big sections of books that are, are apocalyptic in nature, meaning they're, they're, they're long and they have all this stuff going on. So, so, so they're, com they're kind of common. Um, they're at least common enough that we don't have just one example, but we have a lot of examples of, of these visions, these unveilings. And, and a lot of times they're full of, of odd symbols and, and weird references. And so it becomes very hard to, to understand. And, and I'm going to give you a couple cautions. Um, one um, is that if someone says this is the way it is, including me, you'd be a little skeptical. I, I think uh, people like to uh, kind of gain notoriety by thinking they have some kind of insight that they don't if it, if it doesn't come from the, the the right keys of the priesthood then I think we're kind of off base so um let me there's a key though to kind of understanding this and and that is Doctrine and Covenants 77 so if you haven't read Doctrine and Covenants 77 lately it is uh, pretty unique it's um Joseph Smith is receiving a revelation and he's asking as he was translating the Book of Mormon or uh, uh the uh, the Bible and and then he was saying hey what is what does this mean what does this mean and so he gets a number of answers to what they mean and I think it's a good key to how to read these books and so let's go there really quickly and see if we don't see a couple of keys so this is um let's see Joseph Smith was in Ohio and about eight, uh, let's see, March 1832 and he says and he was translating the scriptures and he received this revelation so I'm just going to skip down um, to, to a couple of them. He says, uh, it's a question and answer. It's a really unique scripture. Um, and you think, boy, if you're going to read the book of Revelation, why doesn't this thing have like 50 pages of question and answer? But 
I think it gives us everything that we kind of need to learn. It's a concept that we need to learn. So let's look at uh, a couple of questions. The first is, uh, I'm just going to go down to verse two. What are we to understand by the four beasts spoken of in the same verse? Now, here's what I want you to listen to. What kind of way, how do we read is our question. How do we read the book of Revelation? And the answers that we're getting, the answers are going to tell us how we read it. So the answer is, they are figurative expressions used by the revelator John in describing heaven, the paradise of God, the happiness of man and of beasts and of creeping things and of the fowls of the air. That which is spiritual being in the likeness of that which is temporal and that which is temporal in the likeness of that which is spiritual. The spirit of man and the likeness of his person and also the spirit of the beast and every other creature which God has created. So did you did you get kind of the the idea there it it comes right out of the gate and it tells you it's their figurative expressions there's something that symbolizes something figuratively and it and it gives you these big generalities it's not this equals that it's not a code it's uh, they're figurative there's something that we can kind of understand i like to use the term a lens it's a lens that we can see through to try and understand now if you want to go on i'll challenge you to do that go read Doctrine and Covenant 77 and see if you don't see that it's more of a lens rather than a code. It isn't a X equals Y and if only you could understand the secret code you would understand the book. It's more to teach you concepts. It's to teach you something that you can see. So let's break off and then and talk. If it's going to be a lens, I'm going to write that down, lens, then let's look at how other people have interpreted this and this is uh, the book of Revelation specifically and Daniel. So there tend to be a couple of ways to review. So put on your scholarly hat now for a second. And historically, uh, people have seen the book of Revelation uh, scholarly and not scholarly as as just all on the spectrum of different ways to look at it. So it isn't just one way. And and one way is called preterist. And that's you look in the past, like if you've ever heard the preterite tense or something, it's it's something that's in the past. And so they would look and say, this is clearly a work, the book of Revelation, that's written for the past. These were things that were happening to people in the first century in the time of John the Revelator. And so these were things that happened to them and they needed to understand what was happening. So a lot of times you'll see them saying, you know, it was uh, the seven hills and the seven beasts and those are the seven hills of Rome. And and then uh, uh, 666 is Nero's name and Hebrew letter numbers. And, and so they will say it's preterist. It's something in the past. It was something for them to understand. It could be and then when you're in the past, it would be all kinds of things, things for the people, the church, things for someone specifically. And it could be even things that they just, um, it was a social commentary, right? It was a political commentary without getting thrown in jail. You could make this political commentary. So there are people that think this was for the past. So that's called the preterist approach. The other end of the spectrum is obviously future. And that's the idea that it's going to happen in the future. And these are all things that are still going to happen. Um, and so what's that's the futurist approach, what's that called? And what's tricky about the futurist approach is that w- let's say you were in John's time of John the Revelator. Um, why would you have an entire book of scripture that was just for somebody that hadn't happened yet? And only until certain things started to be revealed, would this be useful for anybody at all? Um, scripture doesn't tend to work like that. It doesn't tend to be just for one group and that's it. Now, sometimes, certainly, um, we can think of patriarchal blessings and some of those. But typically they don't work like that. So while it may be happening in the future, um, the futurist just as a sole idea doesn't seem to kind of doesn't quite fit as well. 
either. But it does seem to be more something that it is going to be revelatory. It's going to be something that um, is going to be maybe prophecy, something that's going to happen in the future. But those are kind of the two ends of that spectrum. The other side of this is once you're in either the future or the past, then people try to see, you know, is it political? Is it about the kingdom of God? Is it about social? Is it personal? What kind of applications? Is it an application for the church in general? So they'll have all kinds of applications for if, whether it's happening in the past, was it a political statement? Was it happening for the church? This was something the church, they were going to undergo a lot of uh, persecutions and things like that. Or was it something just personal that people needed to talk about personal apostasy or something? And that could be same in the future, right? Is this about the church? Is this about politics? Is this about the world in general? Is it, what is it about? And so people tend to take all these different approaches. Um, I think the reason why there's so many approaches is that each approach tends to have some validity, tends to feel like, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. And so people see understanding in those approaches. So just know that those are out there. Now, one thing that's become really, really common in our day and for the last oh, 50, 60 even 200 years is this idea of it being very specific and kind of code-like is how I think of it. Like if you knew what the secret code was, you would understand it. And only those very spiritual people can see it. And the rest of you schmucks just can't see it. And that's just seems obviously, I think, great disdain with that concept. Um, that just doesn't seem how scripture works. And it doesn't seem like only certain people should be able to to understand some of these things. It's for the church as a whole and uh, can be used across time. While they may have specific revelations, I do believe that, I do think that it's a, it isn't a secret code. Um, so I, I'm not a super big fan. In fact, I hate them. I hate the YouTube videos of you start with point A and then it must mean B and then it must mean C and by the end you're at point Z of someone making these crazy connections. So don't email me or text me and tell me how unfaithful and wrong I am. I, um, I, I just, I don't care about that. But I just think those are really dangerous and that those don't seem to come from valid sources like the prophets. So, so that code, code book idea, though, became really popular. Um, it, it, there were a series of books that came out in the 70s. Um, I think it's Late Great Planet Earth. And then you have the Left Behind series in the United States. And so, and it just gets, these ideas just keep getting uh, leveled and today we have YouTube videos and, and things like that that are like if you only knew the code so I'm not a huge believer in that so again don't text or Skype me or whatever about how wrong I am if you believe that knock yourself out but um, from a different point of view it doesn't seem to fit quite well although there are things are gonna you know we need to understand okay so so as we saw in Doctrine and Covenant 77 it tends to tell us these are figurative and they tend to stand for different things but not a specific thing sometimes so those are some general ideas are for how the book, specifically the book of Revelation has been seen and, and the book of Daniel as well. So let's talk a little bit about some of the tools that, that we have to understand them and then we'll start to apply them as we jump in over the next two episodes. But first, what's the purpose of these things? What's the purpose? And I think um, let's go to Revelation. Let's go to uh, Daniel. Let's go to these and read like what's the purpose of them? First, we see that the purpose of some of them is to give the prophet himself, the person who is seeing this vision, a view into a reality, a view into understanding God's world and uh, where the heavens and earth will be combined. So we might think of someplace like the temple or someplace in a vision where, where God is reaching out to his creation and, and speaking to us directly. And then specifically, he's unveiling his great work. 
So sometimes these things are very specific to the person who, who maybe has received them. The second thing is sometimes it's to give hope. It's to explain God's great purpose. So if um, we are to understand, it isn't so that we can track down and be scared. In fact, in Matthew 24, uh, the Lord says, I don't give you all this so that you get scared. I, get, I give you these signs of the times so that you can understand them and you can have hope that you know that God's in charge. So when we see these great tumultuous events, whether it's COVID or world wars or a political collapse or uh, natural disasters or anything, it's to say, wow, where, where is God in all of this? And you say, don't worry, little flock, I'm in charge and I've got it under control and, uh, and I love you and never fear. So I think those are the main purposes of this. And then to try to teach us a little bit of that message. So that's kind of what the message is going to be. So if you start to get into I'm tracking time, then you go back and reread the beginning, uh, either read Matthew 24 or go ahead and read uh, Doctrine and Covenants 77 or read uh, any of those and see if that's not, uh, there's not a different message. But I think you'll find that's the message. So here's some clues, and we'll go through them in the next uh, episode or two, but here's some clues for how to read these books. Um, first, you have to read them as a whole. So not, not just a scripture or a verse or a word. What's the lamb? What's the seventh seal? What's the beast with a horn on its head? Um, you have to read the whole book. So as you read the whole book, try to, we'll, try to, we'll go through it together, but I want you to look at them and say, I got to read it as a whole. What's the whole story telling me? Uh, rather than what's just an element. Uh, you could take any th- element and make it mean anything and even make it kind of make sense. So I want you to do that. The second thing is I want you to read it with the, is that same for, that same idea of reading it as a whole. I want you to read the scriptures as a whole. What's the message of the plan of salvation? Because typically you'll find that's what the message of these unveilings are. They're the plan of salvation. They're the plan that the Lord is giving us of this is the Lord's plan to redeem his children through his Christ. So if we look at it through the big lens of not only the book we're reading, but the plan of salvation and all the scriptures, all the revelations, every conference talk, everything we've learned in the gospel, you might find that it makes a little more sense. If we try to break it down too small, you're going to be confused. Or I think it's going to be like, I have no idea. So we're going to look at it the big picture. Um, the second is we're going to look at symbols. So number two, symbols. Symbols, not as a code. I've probably overemphasized that, but if I haven't, it's not a code. It's not a code. Look at the symbols, but look at what symbols, these symbols mean in the big picture of the story. For example, the entire book of Revelation or the entire book of Daniel, or even across all the uses of what is this whole story of the plan of salvation. For example, we're going to be introduced in Revelation 4 and 5. We're going to be in- introduced to a lion and a lamb. And we're going to be introduced to 24 elders on thrones. And so you'd say, well, where have I seen a lamb used before? What is the lamb typically? Um, and then wh- who are these 24? When have I seen 24? When have I seen iterations of 12 across the whole scriptures? And then you can kind of do a word study or a, uh, an example to try to see this. When have I seen beasts uh, all the way back from Cain and Abel? Um, sin crouches at, the, crouches at the door and uh, desires to have thee, it says. So we have this introduction to a beastly concept right out of the gate. And then we end the, the whole uh, uh, Hebrew scriptures with 
another beast, right? The beast that rises uh, into the sky. And so we see these beasts being used there. Um, and so you kind of want to look at these symbols, not as a code, but the big ones, the big ideas. And what, what do they tend to point to? What do they mean? And again, take them in context of the entire scriptures. All right. So first, look at the book as a whole, look at the scriptures and the plan of salvation as a whole, see what those messages are. And then look at the symbols, not as code, but what do they typically mean in the big picture of the gospel? Um, that's those are the first clues I'm going to give you through reading apocalyptic literature, uh, the apocalypse and unveiling. We get to reveal God's plan. And so we know the plan. We know the plan of salvation. Reread Doctrine and Covenants 77 and see if you don't see that it's kind of a lens, a lens for how to understand these books as something figurative, something for all time and for all generations to try to understand the Lord's great plan to his children. And then we can start using contexts like reading as a whole understand the symbols. All right, that's it, Scriptorians. That's step one, uh, kind of how, uh, what to read, and then we'll jump into how to read it a little bit in the next one. All right, everybody, keep on reading. <laughs>